I don't usually make comments prior to the reading of the text because I don't want I want to let the the text speak for itself and stand on its own. But I I want to make this comment before we read this text, um, and it applies not just today; it applies to uh, all of the text uh, throughout Exodus and Leviticus that we're reading. And and here's the point that I want to get across to you. If you've ever read a Greek play, uh, Homer's Odyssey, something like that, you may have found it frustrating because it's very, very repetitive. Greek plays repeat these cycles over and over and over again. Vice versa, if you ever encountered Shakespeare in high school through the pages of a book, you may have decided that you can't stand Shakespeare. Clearly, he's a brilliant guy. I read him in high school, but he leaves me yawning. And I think both of the problems are because we're not engaging them in the medium that they intended to be engaged in. Shakespeare was a playwright. If I want to tell you how amazing the movie Star Wars is, I don't hand you the movie script. I take you to see the movie. <laughs> and so when we're reading Shakespeare, Shakespeare, when we're engaging Shakespeare, I think we ought to do it through dramatic plays or seeing the, the plays performed. In the same way, when we're engaging Greek literature, Greek literature, Greek artistry is not about the acting, it's about the oratory. If you're familiar with the Greek plays, you'll know that they would just have a very minimal cast and someone would hold up a mask and that would signify one thing and he'd turn it the other way and it would signify something else. It was the voice, it was the oratory that was carrying the drama, thus the repetition. So when you hear me saying the same thing over and over again, you'd say, oh, he must have forgotten he said that, or you say, oh, He's really wanting to emphasize that. That is how we should engage these texts. They're intended to be heard. These texts are intended for you to listen to them. And so when you listen to them, the way to engage the text is to listen for things that are repeated. Listen for things that come again and again and again in a cycle. In the same way, listen for anything that your mind thinks, oh, should be a repetition here of this theme, and isn't. Those are the things that should stand out of the text. The things that are repeated and the things that are clearly breaking the repetitious cycle up. That's how to take the text and to glean from it what God intends us to. This is unique to uh, this this Old Testament narrative type of text, and uh, so I want you to keep that in mind as we read. I think otherwise you can, especially if you're if you're keeping up with us in uh, our reading through the Bible in a year program, then for the past two or three weeks, uh, good on you. You have been enduring. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff that's been repeated over and over and over again, and it's perfectly understandable to come to the end of a chapter and go, why? 
Well, that's the question, or that's the answer. That's why. <laughs> because in the repetition, you're supposed to hear a thing. You're supposed to hear something that, that jumps out at you. So with those, uh, with that background, our New Testament complementary passage is Ephesians chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 11 and read through the end of the chapter. And then our Old Testament passage is Leviticus chapter 3. So in honor of God's word, with your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2, please stand. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, hear God's word. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 3. Continuing in the reading of God's word. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins... And the long lobe of the liver, that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver, that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. 
Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the long lobe of the liver, that that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priests shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes to this Jesus Christ, who not only is hidden in its shadows, but who speaks through it. Open us to that voice by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So probably each and every one of you have heard the word shalom. That is probably not a new word to anybody in this room. Shalom is peace. It's a Hebrew greeting. It's the word that's found here right at the beginning of this chapter. It's translated peace. But peace is something that is so, it's a word that is so often used that I'm not sure that we really get the intensity, the depth, the cry of the human heart for peace. I mean, if I'm having a disagreement with someone and I want to tell them I'm walking away from this conversation, this conflict I'm done with, what's a common thing, if I'm young and hip, maybe? (laughs) Peace out. (laughs) I'm out of here. No worries, no hassle, no conflict, but peace out. We're done. Peace signs. You see them on the bumper stickers of cars. There's the Kennedy Institute for Peace, which has a stunning building down in Washington, D.C., dedicated to studying peace. And yet, when you and I see peace, when you and I observe peace, does it not come most often as a result of coercion. Peace means I'm bigger than you are, I have more guns than you are, and so when I tell you to sit down and be quiet, you do it. And that brings peace. That's the story of our entire international diplomacy. (laughs) All the way back to the president who said, walk softly or talk softly and carry a big stick. All the way back, there's this idea that me coming in with my guns or with my fist and getting up in your face and telling you what to do and you sitting down and do it is me maintaining the peace. And surely, surely we hope for something more than that. Surely the peace that you and I have with God is not merely that God has finally squished your rebellion. He's crushed you. 
He's crushed you the way that a conquering army rolls in and crushes its opponents so that now there is peace in the land. Or that he's standing behind that temptation. That he's standing behind when you say, I really, really, really want to do this thing, but the knowledge that God will strike me dead keeps me from doing this thing. And therefore, I won't do it. Aha, look, I'm at peace. We've confused, and I think this goes back to the lie of Satan. We've confused conformity to with conformity with. And that's the distinction. Harmony under the rule of another or harmony with another. It's a big distinction. (laughs) I can have peace in my home by simply making sure that everybody in my home knows that I am physically capable of taking them out should they ever voice their disagreement or disapproval. I am bigger and stronger than anyone else under my roof, and therefore, you need to toe my line. And what do we call that? Peace. And yet, hopefully, each and every one of you recognizes, that's sick. That's not right. (laughs) That's not what a marriage should be. That's not what a home should be. That's not what a father should be. Surely we recognize that peace in Ukraine is not simply America wins, the West wins, or Russia wins. Peace in Ukraine, is going to mean conformity to someone. But it is almost certainly guaranteed not to be harmony with anybody else. It's not going to be harmony with the West and with whatever the West's agenda is Nor is it going to be harmony, obviously, with Russia. Should it be that Russia ends up winning the conflict? Peace, when we finally put a stamp on it, we're going to call it peace. But each and every man, woman, boy, girl, from the time of Adam and Eve all the way down to today, knows deep in our hearts that that's not peace. That's not what we're longing for. That's not our desire. And even as we misuse the word, that word itself becomes something that we've lost. A piece of fog. It's there. We know it. 
but we'll never get our hands wrapped around it. We'll never truly know what it is to walk in harmony until we come to this shalom, until we come to this declaration, until we come in this manner. Because again, this is the entire story of the Scriptures. It's the entire story of the Bible. God created man and woman at peace with Him, in harmony. He walked with them in the cool of the evening. And then it all went sideways. They rebelled, they listened to the lie, they ate the fruit, they tried to cover it up. And the rest of the Bible is about how to come back to this place of peace, of harmony, of wholeness. The tabernacle itself is a description, it's a a visible portrayal of the Garden of Eden. It's this place of peace, of wholeness, of harmony that centers right there in the Holy of Holies and the mercy seat and the table of showbread and the lampstand and all of those glorious, beautiful realities that they speak and and, and they, they hit not just our eyes, but our noses and our ears as we listen and as we smell and as we hear peace, harmony, as we see the sacrificial system of how to enter back into this place and the gallons and gallons and gallons of blood. You've even seen it here in this chapter. The priest again draining the blood, throwing it against the sides of the altar. That altar must have been the most gory and grotesque thing that many of these people ever saw drenched with decades of dried blood. Blood poured, splashed against this thing over and over and over again. And yet, miraculously, against all all reason, suddenly, here we are at peace. This is a peace offering. And that peace we know is purchased for us in chapter 1. The atoning work. But as we focus in on the result of this atoning work, as we focus in on what you are declared to be with God, in the work of Jesus Christ, that perfect sacrifice, Christ has declared you Healed. He has declared you to be at peace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, He Himself is the peace. He is this entire thing that's pictured for us in Leviticus chapter 3. He Himself is our peace. And so as we think of Paul's exegesis of this passage, Let's import that as we look at just two things that I think stand out of this passage. There are many other things, but we're going to be saving some of those. They're themes that continue 
throughout the sacrificial system. But I just want to focus on two things that come out of this passage. And the first is, if you heard the language over and over again, you heard the phrase, without blemish. The lamb, male or female, must be without blemish. Without blemish. And I want you to picture the likely scenario. The worshiper, let's call him Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, realizes that God has blessed him in a unique way. Let's just mangle the metaphor by bringing a modern day illustration in. Joshua's wife has had a baby. And he wants to rejoice at God's goodness to him in granting him a baby. There's no command that once you want to rejoice, you must go sacrifice. Joshua simply wants to sacrifice. He wants to show to God how thankful he is. It's a peace offering. It's not designed to gain peace with God, but it's designed to show in a unique and special way his joy at the peace that he has with God. And so Joshua, this poor farmer, wandering through the wilderness, he goes out into his flock. Now, three million people moving through the desert. Each individual of those three million people is probably not going to have a flock of two or three hundred sheep. The flocks are probably pretty tiny on an individual basis, because that's an awful lot of animals for the desert and the oases that you will find to sustain. So Joshua goes out to his flock, and probably it's a small flock. Probably Joshua has six, seven, eight little sheep, little lambs that he has his son go and take out for foraging every day, but it's not going to be a huge flock. So Joshua goes out, let's say, to his ten sheep that are in his flock. And he wants to sacrifice. Now, first off, props to Joshua. Because there's no command. And if your little flock of ten sheep, your heart is so touched that you're going to take one of these sheep and kill it, you're in a pretty good spiritual state, are you not? You're not trying to earn favor with God, but you're taking something really important to you, really precious to you. You're taking something that's vital and you're offering it. You're giving it. You're sacrificing it, giving it to God. And the first thing that Joshua has to do is walk into his little flock of ten lambs or sheep or whatever they are, and he's got to find the one that is perfect without blemish. Joshua cannot walk out to his flock and go, uh, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be uh, doing a head count and, and they're going to be asking for more contributions and, you know, i got to conserve my resources. That's a responsible thing to do. Uh, so, you know, yes, I want to sacrifice a peace offering. This guy is clearly on his way out the door 
it's a perfectly good lamb, but it's got a bum leg, and it can't keep up with all the other lambs in the wilderness. It looks fine and healthy right now. Why don't we just take it? It's going to die anyway. Let's offer it as a peace offering to God, and two birds with one stone, right? God says, no. You will deal with your busted up lamb on your own. But what you will bring to me is that lamb that is absolutely without blemish. And so Joshua has to stand in his flock and he has to pick the very best that he has. And so he picks up this sheep that's without blemish and he brings it to the priest. And what's the first thing the priest does? He inspects it. Do you see that in our text? The priest is to determine that the lamb has no blemish. Now think of the embarrassment. Joshua picks up his busted up, broken down lamb, brings it to the police and goes, hey, nothing wrong with this one. (laughs) And the priest looks at it halfway collapsing or some mucus thing coming out of its eyeballs. And he goes, "Uh uh-uh. That is not a lamb without blemish. You cannot bring that. The priest has to take a bold stand. This is not seeker sensitive. (laughs) This is not the way to grow your congregation. Is by looking someone dead in the eye and going, the best you got? I don't think so. Go home. The priest is to examine it. And also in doing so, it really emphasizes that Joshua cannot be hiding anything up his sleeve. He's got to be coming with a whole heart. He can't be trying to trick God, and he can't be trying to pawn anything off on God or God's priests. Joshua must come with a whole and dedicated heart. That's what's behind bringing a perfect lamb. And why is it so important that it's a perfect lamb? Not just because God wants to know that Joshua is approaching him with a whole heart. Joshua is not playing any games with it. But it's got to be a perfect lamb. And brothers and sisters, you and I know this. It's got to be a perfect lamb because, beloved, even the offering of peace points us to Christ. Even Jesus Christ himself is our peace. So it's not merely that Jesus Christ secures your way to God. It's that Jesus Christ literally is your way to God. Jesus Christ is your peace. Jesus Christ is the one in whom your life is hidden. The other thing that jumps out of this text, and I think it ought to to you as well, is there's something in this text that should not be there. And if you followed in the reading through the text, remember this is a peace offering. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 highlight something that is a jarring sound in this entire text. 
the person is bringing a peace offering, a type of Jesus Christ. And it's a lamb without blemish, male or female. Until you get to verse 13, if the offering is a goat. And that ought to make your ears stand up. What are we doing offering goats in a positive manner? Because everything I've always associated with a goat is that it's a type of sin. What's Jesus going to do at the end day? He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The day of atonement. The animal that bears the sin of Israel is a goat. It's always in the sacrificial system a goat symbolizing sin. Does it just do the rule are the rules suspended in verse 13? I don't think so, because what else do you see in verse 13, or specifically not see? A goat, what should you expect next? Without blemish. Right? It's a lamb without blemish. So every other animal without blemish. Tell me, do you see in verse 13? If he brings a goat, then it shall be a goat without blemish. And the answer is no, you don't. (laughs) So did Moses just forget? Or do you think maybe God's inspired word is making a point? You see, the reason that there is no goat without blemish is because ethically, morally, symbolically, that's impossible. The goat The goat represents sin. The goat represents the one separated from God. The goat is always over against the sheep. The goat is the stubborn one. The goat goes off on its own. The sheep is dependent on the shepherd. The sheep operates in a flock. The sheep is dependent. All those things. The goat is always a sign of willful, willful, stubborn, sinful rebellion against God. And yet, here it is in a peace offering. Now, to me, that I find that jarring. I find that kind of like, whoa. That is a significant literary construction. Why? And and so that's where we can get into some differences in terms of proper application of this. But I want to just make one very, very simple application. Then we're going to move on quickly to our second point. I want to make one simple application that I think is consistent with the fact that there's a goat here in this peace offering. And that is that when God declares you and me to be at peace with Him, God declares all of you and me to be at peace with Him. He declares everything to be at peace with Him. And I think if we're going to continue on with this goat metaphor and what the goat stands for, I don't want to, you know, old saying comes from seminary is don't, make a parable walk on all four legs. 
Use the parable for what God set the parable up for. Don't take the parable and then make it go off and play over in this field and say something that God never said for the parable to say. And I think that's something that is a, is a worthwhile caution here. But I think at the very least we can say that God says even your brokenness, your willfulness, your stubbornness, your independent-mindedness, even that is redeemed. And I want you to even bring that. Bring all of it. Bring everything in joyful response to my shalom, to my word of peace. Christ redeems it all, beloved, including your brokenness, including your rebellion. I give you a very quick example of what I mean by that, and that is this. There is no undo button in life. If I go out and commit some sin, I can't get down on my knees and ask God's forgiveness, and it is as if that sin was never committed. But what I can do is be healed from that sin. And there is no sin and there is no sinner that is beyond the reach of God's healing power. And beloved, that's a message that is profoundly countercultural. There is no cancel culture in God. There is no, you said this 25 years ago, therefore your career is done today with God. With God, He redeems all. He redeems all of it in that perfect Lamb. I think another reason, by the way, that there's no goat without blemish is because God is wanting to make very clear that you and I both understand the goat is not a type of Christ. (laughs) It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not the goat of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, And so we're maintaining that distinction between what is without blemish and what is not. But then, not only we see the uniqueness of God's offerings, the uniqueness of our approach to Him in this repeated phrase, without blemish, without blemish. But the, the second thing I want you to take away from this, and it's, it, it really comes out of verses 16 and 17, but it's also this whole concept of a peace offering. In verses 16 and 17, we read, All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling place that you eat neither blood or fat nor blood. Now, of course, this is where a lot of our kosher, our ideas of kosher uh, living or halal uh, meat uh, comes from is, is in this context. But again... God is a very, he speaks to our senses 
And he's done so throughout this. Uh, the, the, the lightning, the thunder, the earthquakes on Mount Sinai. The, the gold. The shining gold. I mean, he, he very much speaks to our senses. The, the passage that we looked at last week, Leviticus chapter 2, and, and the idea of the salt covenant. There's a, there's a appeal to our senses in that, which is not merely the taste, but also the action. When you throw salt on the fire, the sparks, the, the way that the, the, the salt pops and sparkles as it, as it hits that fire is a, a sign to us of what our sacrifices are before God. So, let me ask you, how many of you children have ever had a hot dog or a marshmallow roasted over a campfire? Now, if I just took a hot dog and I put it in a microwave, and I handed it to you and said, here's a nice hot dog. Would it taste the same as a hot dog that you would put on a stick and carefully held over the campfire and maybe got your knuckles just a little bit burned because the stick wasn't quite long enough and maybe the hot, end of the hot dog caught up on fire because some of the fat dripped off? And Which one tastes better? Now, I can give you a perfectly warmed hot dog. But I think the hot dog that you held in your stick over the campfire tastes better, doesn't it? Or a marshmallow. I can toast you the perfect marshmallow. The absolute perfect marshmallow. I can put it in a, in a, in a toaster oven. And I can set the time. And I can even turn the marshmallow over so that every single part of that marshmallow has precisely the exact same tan line on it. And it is perfectly tender on the inside. And maybe it will taste better, but when I say, hey, would you like a toasted marshmallow? Don't you kind of think, oh, I'm going to put a marshmallow on the end of a coat hanger and I'm going to hold it over the fire. It'll catch on fire and then I'll go and burn it out and then it'll be crispy black on the outside and that's the way I like my marshmallows and all that, Right? So what do you think a sacrifice smelled like, sounded like when that meat was roasting and the fat was dripping into the fire? What do you think it smelled like and what do you think it sounded like as that fat popped and sizzled and as the smell, now I hate both kidneys and livers, Personal preference, maybe. We're told clearly that they're considered to be the choicest parts. So as the smell of the best parts of the animal being cooked. But not only the fellowship meal, is it, it, it speaks to our nostrils as we smell it. It speaks to our ears as we hear it sizzling and cooking. But it also, the fellowship meal is not simply consumed by God, 
nor is it simply consumed by the priest. But part of it is consumed by God, part of it is consumed by the priest, and part of it is consumed by the person who brings the offering. So to go all the way back to Joshua, he's had this wonderful event in his life. He wants to give thanks to God for it. And so he walks out to his little flock and he picks the absolute best that he's got out of his little flock. And he comes with his family. This is costing him. He brings his family to the priest and he says to the priest, I want to give a peace offering to God. I want to rejoice in that shalom, in that wholeness and healing with God. And the priest then sacrifices the animal, takes out the fat, the choicest bits, and then says, now come, let's all sit down and eat. Let's all sit down together. You, me, and God. Let's sit in fellowship. Let's have this fellowship meal. That ought to touch your heart. That ought to touch your heart. That you could sit with God and be in fellowship. All of our rebellion against Him. All of our constant sin against Him. That God would say, Come and eat with me. Amazing grace. (laughs) It's the only response I know. This joyful recognition that a perfect animal has been provided. This joyful recognition that God has declared Himself to be at peace. And this joyful recognition that you and I participate in that peace. As much as the world longs for it, as much as the world searches for it, as much as we might redefine it, peace is not simply the guy with the biggest gun came in and won. Peace is not simply... Everybody in my house is too terrified to cross me. Therefore, I have peace in my house. (laughs) Peace, wholeness, harmony, walking as God intended to walk is purchased for us in that perfect land. But beloved, it's realized in your life. It's realized and lived now. Not one day. Yes, there will be one day when we are perfectly at peace. When creation is perfect as it is and was designed to be. But right now, today, beloved, just as the children of Israel could come and bring an offering that said, I am at peace with God. You and I get to come and share a meal. We get to come and share a meal that says, I am at peace with God. And it's not simply, it's not merely, bring the best that you've got to it. 
It's bring everything to Him. Bring your life, yourself, your family, your marriage, your child-rearing, your, 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 your relationship to your parents, your education, your schooling, your career, your work in the home. Bring everything that is who you are. Bring it to God. Because He's declared in Christ that He is at peace. He's at peace. And so you and I can come with joy. What a celebration that must have been. On those days of peace offerings. The days when Joshua would say, God has just been so glorious to me that I'm going to give this perfect little lamb out of my lamb, out of my flock. And I'm going to enjoy this perfect little lamb with the priests, with God Himself, and with my family. And all of that was just a shadow. Just a shadow of what you and I get to eat this morning. The fat sizzling, the choicest pieces cooking on the fire, that lovely smell, all of that the most pale shadow of the One who declared peace. The one who said, I am your peace. Beloved, we can do so not because you have in any way earned peace with God, but because Jesus Christ purchased that peace by becoming you. Becoming you in all your humanity. Becoming you in all your sin and becoming you in all of God's justice and wrath poured out upon His head so that you can become Him. Can become Him in terms of status with God. You are sons of God. You can become Him in terms of peace with God. He Himself is our peace. And you can become Him in terms of joy. Knowing that He has made everything good. He has made everything right. The most important is your relationship with God and His purposes. And from there, it just all flows outward. But it starts here. A body that was broken. So that yours will not be. Blood that was shed so that yours will not be. A lamb who was slain so that you can have peace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who himself is our peace. And as we come rejoicing in that peace offering, coming to you, let our lives be the best that we can bring. But Lord, not for a second would we think that we've earned anything. anything. But we would bring to you the best and joyful response to this amazing proclamation of peace. Nourish us, strengthen us, and refocus us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.